listeners. I'm Logan McLean, and this is OJT on the Job Training. It's a podcast where I, a journalism student, practice my craft by interviewing passionate people about their projects. James Brown is a 24-year-old Montreal-based comedian originally from Richmond, PEI. He hosts Squad Laughs, a stand-up show that challenges traditional comedy with its inclusivity and distinct James Brown weirdness. And full disclosure, he's also an old friend. James joined me in Summerside to talk about what comedy can do for people, how Squad Laughs operates, and the merits of Four Loco Punch. I was going to try and describe what Squad Laughs is myself, but I figured it'd be best just to ask you, what exactly is this comedy show that you do? Um, Squad Laughs is a comedy show, first and foremost. Um, But at, at this point, it's just sort of like a... Um, a tailored comedy show, just where essentially I select the people, and and it sort of bases off of that. Um, we try and like operate from a somewhat inclusive ethos, and but realistically, it's it's just a comedy show where I decide who goes up and who doesn't. But and like. I guess the other thing that we do is we try and encourage people who've never done comedy before to do it. And that um, helps to foster an environment in and of itself. And it, I think it makes things more entertaining. We started doing the show like three, maybe a bit more than three years ago now in my apartment. Me and my brother lived in an apartment and it had this really weird setup. There was like the living room and then there was this windowless room off to the side with like these French doors that opened up into it. And it was just like the most useless thing in the world. It was like a bizarro waste of space in an otherwise fairly small apartment. Um, So I had started doing comedy but was sort of not thrilled with like getting bad spots at also bad open mics. So I decided to make a show where I just essentially convinced my friends to do comedy and have a house party. So we would put the comics in that stupid, useless room. And then it's like there was a big hole in the in the wall, essentially. Um, and then everyone would sit in sort of the larger living room. And we did that for a few, a couple shows, I think three or four shows. And it just grew and grew and grew. So the first one, there were probably, you know, 20, 25 people there. By the end, I think there were like 40 or 50 people in my house. So we had to move it out of my house. Um, At that time, I found a small venue that was very close to my house. And it it fit like 60 people, probably. Then my friend John Hanshar got involved and we sort of... That's when it became a bit more politicized, I guess I would say, and had a bit more of a mandate to um, be more representative or just include uh, different types of people. Because while it was in my house, the thing was, it was like almost entirely men. There were a few women, but it was almost entirely white men, Um, which was fine. It was essentially a house party. But whenever it became a public thing, it's like, okay, what will we do? What will be useful about this? So we wanted to make it a bit more inclusive. And we did a couple of shows there, but that space fit comfortably like 60 people. And by the end of that, after three or four shows, we got like 80 or 90 people. So we had to move out again. And we moved to a spot called The Plant in Montreal that's 
sort of a music venue that people live in. It's it's a weird sort of stereotypical Montreal arts loft space where I think there's five people that live there and there's like this giant weird living room. It's in like an industrial looking building. Um, Is that the picture you sent me? Yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah. I sent you like a few photos that are sort of from all over. Um, Oh, I just saw the one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I think it. I think it's it probably a bunch of big the, windows too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of it. That's the one. That's the one. So it's in that spot, and that's been great. Um, John stopped doing the show after a while, and then my friend Tatiana got involved, and uh, and she was great, and we sort of just ran it. Uh, we've run it there for like the past two years. Something I wanted to touch on is why this kind of stuff matters. I think. I think comedy is important. I think it has an important role in society and in individual people's lives too. What do you What do you think about that? Yeah, that and then I think we've kind of touched on why inclusivity is important. But why does comedy matter? I think comedy matters entirely. I think like what what it, what do you do if you don't laugh? And I think you know there's there's the two aspects of it. Comedy is a larger thing. It's just like joy and laughter within everyday life, which. Uh, we all experience in our own in our own ways and it's mostly just like conversations with friends and making whatever stupid type of humor you enjoy and I think like we it's not difficult to recognize how much that affects mood and affects um, even will to live and things like that it's like a good laugh can the best thing is whenever you laugh so hard at something and then like four days later remember the time that you <laughs> laughed and laugh again like you can understand <laughs> how can go on for years yeah exactly exactly it literally can yeah. it has for like most people yeah and so you it's easy to understand why that is like so essential to human life and then i think that stand up and and sketch and uh, other comedy forms are, are an extension of that. But at the end of the day, it's like, we want entertainment. Ev- everyone wants to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And we, and I think it's really great to see people like put a lot of time and thought and energy into like achieving a quite interesting form of making you laugh, I guess. I don't think comedy is here to change the world. I don't think it's like some people can say it's the most noble job in the world. I don't necessarily think it is. I think you do it because you like to tell jokes. Do you hear that sort of thing about it being noble? Yeah, well, some people will say it. Some people say it's really brave, too, all the time. They say, like, oh, I could never do that. I could never go up on stage and do that Mm -hmm. like you. And it's like, well, yeah, but also it seems like you don't have that thing inside you that needs to do it. Uh, I used to hear that about busking when I was doing it. And it's, yeah, and I'd be, I was surprised to hear it. Because it was just like I like standing on totally. the side of the road with buses zipping by in Halifax. It's it's exhilarating. It's and like I I couldn't be the type of person that goes and t- says to people I could never do that. Yeah. Like you're so like man, like, I want to do that. Yeah, it's just what naturally comes to you. It's not. I don't really think there's any type of braveness that's associated with it. I think there is something brave about committing a life to art, though. Yeah. And creative pursuits, which you have been mostly doing for the time that I've known you since we were. Like, I don't know, what was it, grade seven or eight we became friends? Yeah. Sitting on that couch watching Carlin. Watching Carlin. That's what brought us together. George Carlin just being mad at things. <laughs> yeah, he was I so I went mad. back this year and watched some of his stuff. And it's he's such a funny... His style is insane. And it's like my girlfriend 
really, she's like, cannot get behind the just angry old white man comic. And he was an angry young white man too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, seeing it from that lens, it's really funny to be like, holy, this guy just hates everything. It's like, it's and he was very good, and he's he's still very funny. Looking back at it, I still enjoyed most of what he did. But at the same time, it's like, can't you just? like something george like can't you just sit back and enjoy he liked wordplay he liked wordplay (laughs) and he liked to say that everyone was stupid i find that with bill burr too yeah i really like bill burr yeah but it's like man sometimes if i'm not it's like with punk music if i don't want to listen if i want to listen to like jazz or classical i'm usually not gonna want to put on the flatliners instead totally Yeah, yeah well it's just yeah it's like Especially in your leisure time, it's like, why do I want to be yelled at? Yeah. <laughs> why do I want someone to call me a fucking idiot? Yeah. It's like, you're right, Carlin. I know it, damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At so. least that's the thing that it like does make it like a lot of times I do want to listen to it, especially when I'm looking for like good criticism of stuff and not uh-huh. just comedy. If you want to hear someone who like I would put his comedy in the direction of what satire brings to things is that it makes you laugh and you laugh because it's funny because it's true and then you go but it shouldn't be true we should probably do something about that like satire has sort of a political motivation behind it i wanted to ask you about what you think about that kind of stuff you said you don't think comedy is going to change the world and i think that's probably true Uh is there much of uh do squad laughs have much of people who do that kind of stuff that where it's got a real point to it especially with coming from marginalized groups who might have you know a reason to shake their fist in the air a bit do they often do that sort of stuff or is it usually more lighthearted? yeah no some people will definitely do that i mean most people come at it with their own point of view um and so i would say it's probably half and half or maybe even more so i think most people are more political in their comedy than i am i think i in general like i feel like i'm not necessarily the right voice to uh to dissect everything right now and also it's like it's not what i'm naturally all that drawn to but there's definitely lots of people who even at squad laughs or at um you know shows all over use it to sort of speak a truth and i think it can be um incredibly useful and it can be cathartic although i don't think that's what comedy's for at all um or i think it like I'll say that I think um, comedy can be very good for putting your thoughts to things together and like and saying your truth. At the same time, I don't think that should be anyone's goal because I think you should be aiming to entertain people. Um, but I've seen a lot of people very successfully do it and and I think I think so I think that is useful and I think it's a medium where you can do that like any other medium but I don't think that that's like the main purpose or usefulness of the medium which mm-hmm. some people will will try and say that it is and I think like that's sort of disingenuous as to what it actually does because at the end of the day I do th- I mean we talked about how like watching Carlin sort of did wake us both up politically in like uh whenever you're a 13 14 year old who doesn't like his parents anymore for whatever (laughs) reason hates the little town that he's in and then someone tells you like 
stop putting up with all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's like that does ring like a uh, like a mantra that you can live by, and it does. So it does make quite a difference in someone's life. Um, and political comedy can be incredibly useful, but at the same time, if people are to talk about what comedy is or what it if you're to distill it down to one thing i don't think that um to be politically useful is what it is what it's here for or what it's best at Mm -hmm. i think that's that's a part of the larger thing that it can do but um but i don't think that's like the main the main purpose of it i think at the end of the day People just want to laugh. We talked the other day about your background coming from punk music and working it around shows like that and how that's translated into running a comedy show. You said that you run a comedy show, like a music show. Can you talk a bit more about how that works and what you've learned from the punk days? Yeah. The DIY ethic of it all? Entirely. Well, I think like... and. I especially used everything I'd learned from essentially like doing shows in people's basements when I was a teenager, um, whenever Squad Laughs was first starting out, because what I had noticed and what I had felt when I started doing comedy is I would do this, I'd do these open mics at a bar or a cafe, and no audience came, and I just thought, why? well, why would they? Because this is a show where um, you have to pay $7 for a drink if you want a drink. Um, the entertainment is honestly not very good. Comedy open mics have a, yeah reputation. Yeah, totally. And you, you have no idea what you're going to get. Yeah. You may get two incredible sets and five really awful ones. There's no, there's no vetting or there's no, like, it seems like you'll just put up whoever, which is, which is great. And that's so necessary. And we do need to have open mics. But I just figured, like... No one was doing, at least from what I could see, there were very few shows that were just like tailored to specific subsets of people. Whereas it's like, if you go to a punk show, what are, who are they putting the show on for? Fans of punk music. Yeah, and their friends. Yeah, exactly. Friends of the band. So I just figured it's like you could do the same sort of thing with comedy a little bit, where it's like you just say, well, well, like... Young people do like comedy, but like most young left-leaning Anglos in Montreal don't like comedy that punches down or that's just a bunch of straight white dudes um, being angry at things. So let's give them comedy that looks like them, essentially. Let's give them comedy from young people who are left-leaning, who won't punch down. And it's like it turns out if you give people that they will respond to it and enjoy it and like come back because so i think like utilizing that and essentially gearing the show towards a certain demographic um really worked and that's that just felt like a no-brainer but it felt like something that music shows have been doing forever that comedy shows do not do at least on like a lower level and then also just the idea that like the ideas that I got from playing punk music as a young kid that like anyone can put on a show in their house. Mm-hmm. It's like we went to some of the best shows I've ever seen were in someone's house. So it just became, you know what, why not do a comedy show in my house? 
I have a house. Um, Got these mics? Yeah, yeah. I have this one mic, exactly. And like that way too, you can convince people to come because it doesn't cost anything to come. And if they want to drink six beers, they can do that for $8. I know this is obviously trying not to put boxes and labels on things. Uh, How do you select these people? Is it people you know usually too? Or is, um, guys... Oftentimes, it's like if if I know someone and I and I saw them perform and I like them, I'll ask them to perform. Oftentimes, we have, I mean, comics always want to do your show, so people will ask me to do the show. And if I know them and I like them, I'll let them do the show. If I don't know them, I'll sort of ask around and get a uh, a read on what their style is and whether it whether it goes well with the show. Or if it's people who've never done it before, usually just about anyone, I'll just let them do it, even if I don't know them and they've never done it before. But I'll just tell them like, "This is there's certain things you should probably avoid if you want to get laughs in this room," or just like, "Don't punch down." Essentially, mm-hmm. is pretty much the the one thing that I tell people. But also for finding those people, it's like I just bug people to do it until eventually they they agree to. For a while. I would get people, I would get drunk people to agree to do the show and then remind them when they were sober that they agreed to do the show. And uh, so that was sort of the first several shows and that's where we grew from. I like it. On the inclusivity angle, uh, comedy has historically been very much dominated by straight white men and has been a lot of punching down towards the people that tend to be excluded from comedy. Do you try to include that sort of groups of people more often? Yeah, I mean, the idea is definitely to have our room not look like the historical comedy room, I guess. And the and the thing that's still prevalent now, you go to, at least in Montreal, um, they have one Anglo comedy club. There used to be two. But at any point, like any of their shows, and they'll do um, seven shows a week, most of their shows, you might see one woman, maybe a person of color or two. And it's like, so I think maybe we try and be more conscious of that and sort of make sure that we're not doing that. Well, at the same time, I don't think it's useful to um, be obsessive about it and make sure and sort of try and check off all the boxes. Like, I, do, I think for the most part, we try and not we don't really have shows where it's just a bunch of white men, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to force the relationship too much. And I don't want to be like, all right, people of color, get in here come do the show because it's like, that's not useful for anybody either. So I try and have it be just, I think the number one thing I try and do is make it known that like, if you want to do this show, um, you can. And, the and then people sort of suggest other people or whenever that message gets out i think people tend to find their way to us and uh and we put our lineups together that way a little bit just keeping in mind that we don't want to have it be a bunch of like honestly boring white guys who that com i've been to that comedy show so many times and it's not a very funny show <laughs> you are one of those boring yeah. white guys yeah totally it's usually I mean, not boring yeah but i guess the the struggle is with selection is trying to be inclusive without tokenizing people. Totally, you know? exactly. And it's like, it's it's very difficult to do. And I think a lot of people have, 
I don't I don't know how you do it properly. I wouldn't say that we're mm-hmm. doing it properly necessarily, but I think, you know, it's something that is thought about a decent amount and especially whenever we're putting a lineup together, mostly I just try and make sure it's not a bunch of straight white dudes, but I aside from that, it's like I try and consciously like consider whether or not how how I'm building a lineup, I guess, and whether or not it's based on the funniest people or like checking boxes sort of um, for appearances sake and try and stay away from that second one as much as possible because I think it's so it's so useless for everybody. Well, Montreal is a pretty uh, diverse place. And as you said, people want to do your show. Shouldn't be too hard to find people that reflect the diversity of the city. Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, but at the same time, it's it's worth noting, I mean... I'll, I'll ta- the show is, I mean, diverse in a way that um, they're, it's not just a bunch of straight white dudes, but at the same time, it's, I, I also have to be conscious of the fact that it's like, it's all left-leaning people. It's not, it is also just like a pigeonhole of, you know, 20 and 30-somethings who are 20 and 30-somethings left-leaning anglos in montreal so at the same time it's like sure you're getting one type of diversity but it's not like we are actually striving to be a representation of the world at large we're not at all and i don't think any show has to tell me a little bit about being an english person in the montreal comedy scene is it do you guys ever have french performers or how's that work um we've had french performers before but they just perform in english i would say for the most part montreal's weird because it it's two entirely separate scenes, and for the most part, they do not interact whatsoever. Um, there's one show going on now by my friend Thomas LeBlanc, where he'll get French and um, English performers on the same show, and it's like, there's been success with it. He did it at ZooFest, which is like the off just for laughs. It's like a, essentially the French version of like just below just for laughs, but it goes on at the same time. So like, all the indie comics will do will do those so and so he did a couple Zoofest shows that were both French and English um and now he does it I think monthly or bi-monthly and like the crowds are pretty big um but that's the only real uh interaction I would say that happens between the two scenes I guess for the most part it's like English and French comedy in Montreal is entirely separate and which is, I I sort of understand why. I think it's just tough to be funny in your second language. Um, mm-hmm. And it's humor just is like one of the last things to translate with language comprehension. Yeah, of course. So it, uh, it I there's a lot of difficulties trying to integrate those two um, scenes together to like lingual communities through humor. I know I've done uh, Thomas's show Bonjour High before. And it's like the the crowd that night was mostly francophone, and it's just like all the Franco comedians got more laughs, which is which is fine and it's great. But I mean, so it does make for a weird environment where no one's really set up for success the way you want to be at a comedy show. How much bigger is the French scene? I'm assuming it's bigger. Yeah, 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 it's bigger. I don't know how much bigger, but it's like, it's just supported in a very different way. That's the yeah. thing about... Is it enough that, like, obviously you're doing it, 
Yeah. Is it possible, like, as much to make it on the English side of it? Comedy in Montreal is weird. So I'll, I'll just, I'll talk about this for a second. Sure. I'll talk about it just for laughs because I sort of have some opinions on it. Um, because just for laughs happens in Montreal and it's the biggest uh, English language comedy festival in the world. And you would naturally assume that that would have some ramifications in English language comedy in Montreal in general but it doesn't at all um there's no it's like because essentially it's a very corporate comedy show and montreal is not like an industry town so no one's really looking for people um from montreal it's sort of just a place where uh the canadian comedy community which is almost entirely in toronto a bit in vancouver and the american um, community, which is mostly New York and LA, where they all get together in the same room and people talk about making things. But it's like I've heard from a lot of people who've sort of done bigger shows or who are in those rooms during the festival um, as and living in Montreal that like whenever you tell someone, whenever you tell an industry person that you're you're from Montreal, it's like they lose interest because they're never going to do anything here. So it's like the, the festival comes and it's huge, but it's almost entirely, it's like all of the bigger shows that are actually very well attended um, are entirely out of town acts. Right. And then two weeks later, the festival leaves and it's back to, you know, one or two Anglo rooms every night could be whatever maybe it's a bad open mic or something like that but there's no real industry if you want to if you want to make it in comedy in canada you pretty much have to move to toronto and um i i find it very weird but it's like if you want to do just for laugh shows you're way more likely to get them living in toronto than you are living in montreal even though the festival happens in montreal it's unfortunate yeah yeah it's okay it is what it is and it's like um, I understand why it's like that, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong. And I think, well, I would, I hope that the um, festival itself would sort of try and take that up a little bit and see what they can do to sort of make sure it fosters the Montreal comedy community a little bit more year round. Right. Because um, I think the uh, the other thing I think it does, which is really weird. Um, is I think it makes touring acts less likely to go to Montreal the rest of the year. Because if you know you're going to go there every July, why would you ever go there at a different time? So I figure, I feel like it's like we don't get that many touring comics either. So it just sort of, it feels like it just like overutilizes the Montreal comedy resources over two weeks. And for the other 50 weeks of the year, it's, like, quite barren. Currently, as we sit talking here, it's, like, on a bit of a break, just in that we haven't done a show since October. I'll probably start it back up again in March or something. And and sort of I'm trying to refigure out what I want to do with it now because Tatiana's gone, so... I should, um, I don't know. I sort of, I would sort of want to freshen it up a bit or like, uh, reevaluate what's going on with that. My friend, um, Chris, who's always done the music for the show. Um, he's been involved since, since like the fourth or fifth show 
we met up a couple of weeks ago to think about like what we can do. And I think whenever I get back to Montreal, we'll talk about that a bit more and just sort of, um, I think it will look for the most part the same, but just trying to find ways to uh, reinvigorate the show a little bit because I remember whenever it was young and whenever we always had to switch venues because there were too many people coming, it's like there was a real electricity. Mm-hmm. And I think over the past year or so, as it settled into being a regular thing, it was happening monthly for a while. Um, that was very good and we'd get good crowds, but we, we'd get like 50 people every night, which is, which is great for a comedy show. But at the same time, it's like, I want to see what we can do to recreate that real electricity that existed there at a certain point. So I don't know. I'm sort of reevaluating what, uh, what I can do to, to get that, but that's where we're at now. Do you have any ideas yet? Um, I don't know. We talked about including, um, sort of to start off the show, like a short video portion of it. Um, and that's sort of a way to get more people involved and to open it up to different types of comedy, I think. And I think it could fit naturally as sort of, cause usually we would have like someone go out and essentially introduce the host. But if you just like turn on a video and it's sort of funny and it gets the crowd warmed up a little bit and then you just like put on music after the video is done and say like, welcome to the show from a mic off stage, it would set up like a nice atmosphere, I think. And it would be a good way to integrate that. And I think part of the reason we always want to get newcomers is because they bring or first timers is because they bring people to the show. I think, um, I think doing the video thing would do, would also bring people to the show because it, gives more types of people a way to show off their work. So that's one thing we're looking at. I don't know what else we'll do. Do you mean using like different video every time created by the performers? Yeah. That's cool. How long would you be thinking? Like five minutes or something. Yeah, just like a short. Do you know people who do things like that? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. YouTube type stuff or like sketches or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like sketches. Cool. Um, I know a couple people who make like short funny little videos and I, I'd like to and also I know there's a bunch of people who do that that I don't know so I think it would be nice to have it be known that this is a place where you could sort of show this type of thing and it be appreciated and I think it could be quite an organic uh, merging of those two types of comedy hmm. I think as long as it is like I think as something to set up the show it would work really well and I, I feel like that's maybe the only way that would work, though, because you couldn't really interlace them. I think that'd be so weird for for atmosphere. Yeah, for going back and forth. It'd be a really interesting sort of introduction, though. Could add a touch of professionalism, too. Yeah, totally. No, entirely. Well, depending on how good the sketch is. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I guess it de- depends <laughs> Could on... Could add a touch of yeah. what the, the fuck I just walked People into. are running the projector. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they have to do the keystone thing at the bottom oh, and make, no. fix no, the we'll edges. Do, we'll do that beforehand, yeah. <laughs> do you do the whole pay what you can kind of thing, too? We didn't for a while. No, we do. Now it's $5, pay what you can, because we um, we pay every comic and we pay... Um, we pay like Chris, our sound guy, and we pay someone to make a poster and we pay the venue. So now we do. But for the first couple shows, it was just entirely free. It was essentially a house party. I just wanted, and even I would pay the comics, I would give them a pickle. I would give them a Moishe's brand kosher dill pickle. And we would also do, to get people in the laughing mood, 
I would get people to come an hour or a half hour before the show starts, and we would make a big four loco punch. So it was just four oh, loco. Jesus. It was probably three or four cans of four loco poured into a bowl and then like two liters of Sprite or something. Oh, that's actually probably a lot better than just drinking four loco. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's okay. Because four loco is just like, there was no caffeine in it at that point. It was just like a very cheap 12% alcohol. So we diluted down to like nine or eight. And then you could give it away for free because it was so cheap. So it was, it was a way to entice people to come, though. And a thing that you can't do if your show is at a real venue. We gave away alcohol. People <laughs> laugh more easily. Exactly. And they're more likely to come back. That was my thinking. You know, most people were not as into the Four loco Punch as I had hoped they would be. <laughs> people would, like, take one glass, but everyone... Well, I guess it worked in that sense, but no one got excited about it like I hoped they would. I really thought that people would be like, oh, free alcohol, we gotta go. But um, it turns out, I guess, people are too good for certain things, and which is good that it was an awful offer that I made. <laughs> All right, I think that's a good place to leave it. Anyone and everyone is welcome to come to Squad Laughs, tell jokes, and have some Four loco Punch. Yeah, yeah, come. Thanks, James. Yeah, thank you. At the end of each episode, I'm going to quickly offer you, the listeners, some reflections on what I've been learning. I'm calling it the progress report for now, though the format may change a bit as things go on. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this interview with James was around editing. First of all, we talked before it actually had any courses on interviewing, so I didn't yet know how to structure a 30-minute interview. Uh, I think my questions were pretty solid for a rookie, but the order I asked them was a little bit too loose in strategy. One of my Holland College instructors, Lindsay Carroll, she was good enough to listen to a few episodes and give me some pointers on layout. Revised structure is much more coherent, and I think most of the seams were hidden. I had a lot of editing to do here with mm-hmmms. So many mm-hmms. Uh, apparently, keeping your mouth shut is not always enough. I gotta bite my tongue too, I guess. I caught on after a few interviews, but this first one took some time in post editing out those mm-hmms and turning them into silent head nods. It was also a useful reminder that interviews are not normal conversation, even when it's with a close friend like James. Host has to try and stay in control of both themselves and the discussion, uh, while hiding that control through tone and editing when necessary. Better the hosting, less editing needed. Overall, though, I was pleased with how little editing this interview actually took. Um, I wasn't really surprised. It felt good about it as it was happening, and I was truly blessed to have James as my first guest. His charm takes no tricks. You can follow James Brown on Instagram at badjamesbrown, on Twitter at at jamesbrown, and the Squad Laughs Facebook page is just called that, Squad Laughs. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at OJT underscore podcast and on Twitter at OJT podcast. The Facebook page is OJT on job training. You can follow me on Instagram at logan.mclean.75 and on Twitter at loganmclean94. And finally, listeners, please check out our website, ojtpod.ca, for more pictures and content from James and Squad Laughs, along with my written stories and photography, and pages on other past guests and episodes. Uh, the podcast is available there and on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and subscribe and leave a review. Everything helps when getting a podcast off the ground, and if you like this show and want more interesting guests, listener feedback is the best way to make that happen. This has been OJT on the job training. I'm Logan McLean. Thank you for listening.